Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and I'm the Stripe Spangled Man. <laughs> Today, we are talking about Minute 51, which begins with Captain America sucking Hitler on the jaw in Chicago, and ends with Steve trying his question out on a different crowd. Joining us on the show today, we have Movies by Minutes regulars, Travis Bowe and Robin Burge. Hello, you two. Hey, Hello there. We are thrilled to be talking about this uh, particular set of minutes with you two. And we are, we are jumping in right in the middle of the montage. The middle of the montage. Um, this uh, We're starting off in Chicago. We've got this whole little thing of, of Steve beating uh, Hitler over the country, which is a lot of fun. We've got more and more dancers and singers and drummers, and everybody's up on the stage. Brant and his aide are thrilled to death. We've got people getting autographs. We've got the comic books. There's so much stuff going on in this particular minute. Let's start, though, uh, with musicals and the lyrics. Uh, we were talking a lot about Alan Menken and, and uh, Dave Zippel and the, the song Star Spangled Man. I just want to get, uh, I want to read through these lyrics and then just kind of talk about it a little bit with you. Uh, at the end of last minute, we started uh, with stalwart and steady and true. See how this guy can shoot. And we're coming in. What is Pete? You're a music guy. You like to sing a lot. <laughs> what's, what's it called? In sing the rest of this song. Yeah, sing the song for <laughs> Now, what's it called in the song where you've got a line and then uh, is it like a counterpoint when they come in like between lines with another line? What is that called? Uh, it's a, hold on. I have to actually, it's been a long time, uh, since I've used this this word in public. So I want to make sure it's (laughs) right. Uh, okay. Uh, it would, I think it would be, and please cut the part where I tell you, I'm actually looking this up. So I'll look smart. (laughs) Uh, I think that would be called a descant, Andy. It's a, A it's a independent melody over another melody. And, uh, so yes, I, I would go with, Descant for 500, Andy. <laughs> the, hey, sounds good to me. Is that Scott Lang's first job? <laughs> <laughs> the the, the Descant. Uh, so, yeah, that so, was amazing. <laughs> Stop and appreciate here, that, Andy. <laughs> My God, that was amazing. <laughs> Scott, everybody slow down. A Descant <laughs> was Scott Lang's first job. <laughs> Please appreciate that. Did you just... Like right off the dome. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh, sorry. I was trying to think of something with desk can, but no, Robbins was, was way better. Way That's better. It. And uh, in universe. So and make sure everybody's yeah, laughing right. at Chris was... Evans this week. Just the <laughs> holding yourself <laughs> laughing. Anyway, Incredible. All right. Now you may continue, Andy. All right. All right. So we've got the, the, the desk can't coming in. See how this guy can shoot. We tell you there's no substitute. Back to the song, forceful and ready to defend the red, white, and blue. Who'll give the Axis the sack and is smart as a fox? A descant, far as an eagle will soar. Who's Maybe you should read the, the descants, Pete. It's like really awkward to read <laughs> oh, this. No, I'm loving this. this. I'm here for this. You reading on top of yourself. It's, yeah. Who's making Adolf afraid to step out of his box? He knows what we're fighting for. This is, this is a great line. Who waked the giant that napped in America? We know it's no one but Captain America. Who'll finish what they began? Who'll kick the crowds to Japan? The star-spangled man with the plan. Another descant. Who's strong and brave here to save the American way? And that's how it ends. 
Okay, you two, what do you think of the song? What do you think of this set of lyrics? How does it work for you coming in in this musical? I absolutely love this song. Uh, I love the way it's used. I, I'm, If I'm not listening to podcasts, I'm listening to film scores. And because this track is on the Captain America, you know, score... I hear this one just in my in my shuffle quite a bit. So I'm very familiar with this song. I've heard it, you know, hundreds of times now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm certain I looked up this song after it was just like, wow, they wrote a whole like Broadway uh show. I mean, it, it's no Rogers the Musical, but uh no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's much better than Rogers the Musical. Uh <laughs> but uh just amazing that this song and and, and to rhyme Napton America with Captain America is just a special kind of wordsmith. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, Pete, what do you think of this this part? I know, I mean, I know last time when we were talking with Jessica, she had some issues with some of the rhyme. You had some of the issues with some of the meter. How is it all working this time? <laughs> I feel like uh, this this minute resolves it. And I, I would lean in on Napton America because that is a... <laughs> That is an alpha level lyricist move right there. That is a power move to, to actually do that. And, and so I have, I, I have no concerns with the lyrics. And in this minute, I don't even have any concerns with the meter. I don't, I don't feel like anything gets shoved in and I'm just right along with it, mostly because of the wonders that are happening on screen at this point. It's incredible. It's fantastic. I love how this whole production started as him stumbling out on stage and having to look at the back of his shield for the, you know, for his lines. Yeah. And then it, it morphs, it builds into this big, you know, jingoistic, just, just pageantry. Yeah. I love the way it builds. It, it kind of brings up the the timeline. Like, how long do you think this montage lasts for? He's like gone, gone from like, you know, newly formed Steve Rogers Captain America to like full-blown Hollywood star and the fact that he's turned or he's sort of turned on it now we get to see him enjoy himself we get the the throwback to him in a movie theater but now as Captain America and has that look of satisfaction on his face and as an audience member I kind of can't help but but see that smile as the guy who's thrilled to be back in a movie theater and be the big guy a little bit on top of seeing himself on screen as the as the bona fide sort of uh, American hero uh, trope. Uh, it's it's delightful. I will say that the first time we see the USO show, according to the wiki, it's June 23rd. Very shortly. Uh, it literally was the next day after um, after he turned into Captain America. It's, so I mean, to, all of yeah. this, it's insane. the entire montage <laughs> happened in about 17 hours is what we're saying. Wow. So. Yeah, it, well, no, the first performance. It's. I mean, I don't – the wiki's a little wacky, let's just they say. They got that suit <laughs> done really fast. Yeah, they came up yeah. with it. Real quick, real quick. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then by the time he's performing at the end of this minute, we actually go over to Italy, and that is November 3rd. So from June 23rd to November 3rd. So it still isn't a huge chunk of time, wow. but clearly the the audiences have been clamoring for it because the amount of stuff that they accomplish with Steve over this period of time is pretty wild. It's pretty insane what they actually do. Because aside from the tour, I mean, we see in this Philadelphia, Chicago, New York City, that, those are just the spots that are label, labeled. They've also pumped out the comic book. Um, right. So, I mean, 
we should talk a little bit about this comic yes. book. Uh, this is Captain America comic number one, which is actually Captain America comic number one. Very meta comic book. Uh, Travis, uh, you've been reviewing a lot of older comics on your show. Uh, what, what did you think when you saw this comic pop up in here? Yeah, they did a great job recreating it. They had to, on, on the real Captain America comics number one, it does have like an also balloon at the bottom with Bucky, you know, grinning and I'm here too, that kind of thing. <laughs> the little kid Bucky version. Let's just yeah. clarify so, make sure. Yeah, no. yeah. The 12 year old stone cold assassin. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's like a little, little bubble at the bottom that they had to work around and, and paint over. Basically, you can find, I found the image that of the in movie comic cover and you can kind of see where they blurred the edges. Uh, they had to create a, a knee on, on Steve. And you can tell it's not uh, an original, you know, line work or whatever. But uh, it's kind of cool to see those side by side. But yeah, um, over on my podcast, we have talked about a lot of these uh, Captain America comics from from Timely Comics, you know, in the from World War II era. And I've gained an appreciation for Captain America. I mean, he was already one of my favorites, but. It was really interesting to go through those issues and to find out that Captain America was not overseas fighting in World War II all that much. You know, even on the this issue where he's he's socking Hitler on the jaw, he's not even overseas, I think, in that comic. And yeah, right. I think in our entire like look at Captain America during the the during World War II, he only went overseas like a couple times, just a, a small few stories that, that put him overseas. Most of the time, you know, he's protecting – he's the sentinel of our shores. You know, he's based here. So it was, it was kind of strange. Yeah. Uh, they've, they've retconned it over the years, you know, in the – when you read his, his comics in the 60s, they do a lot of flashbacks to him being in the war a lot more, so – yeah, and, and we talked a little bit about some of the, the, the newer comics that are kind of uh, retconned versions of, you know, his past. And you do get a lot more of him going over there and stuff. And uh, we talked about some of those in, our, in like an early hiatus episode. And it was um, it was one of those things where it's, it's kind of interesting to see, yeah, the difference of like how much he was actually fighting over in Europe. Um, in the later comics, as opposed to those early ones. And I, I didn't really think about that. But yeah, they're, they are very much more US centric, focused on him stopping uh, often like German spies or other sorts of, uh, you know, criminals on our shores. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Put the guy in the red, white and blue spandex in charge of combating the secret Nazi spies. He's the, the perfect avatar for our spy program. Outstanding. <laughs> outstanding work. No notes. One uh, one moment I like during this uh, this comic book portion of the montage is the is a moment I I love in any superhero movie when they give just a quick look at some kids loving superheroes. Uh, yes. Just they're, they're pouring over those comics and they're just like yeah you know and uh, and you know even as grim as uh, the future minutes get, uh, there's even a, a soldier that pops up. He's kind of flipping through and enjoying it on his own as well. So. Yeah, comics are for everybody. Yeah, that's the next cut. I actually I made that note too. It, it's that isn't it isn't it kind of a fun bit of pandering to the comic that says, "Hey, everybody likes Cap." Yeah, you know from <laughs> from 
kids, big kids, skinny kids, soldiers, all the kids, everybody, everybody's child loves this, even America's sons. Oh, and they did include comic books in, I don't know if it's part of the rations, but part of the kit that they would send over there to those guys included comic books. So, And of course it would have been Captain America, oh, this, yeah. it, you know, in canon. Well, this issue came out December of 1940. Yeah, it, it's. It's published March 41, yeah. Right, right, right. Well, I just mean in the movie. Of course, it would be Captain America that they send. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The thing that struck me, you know, when we were kind of going through this issue and and talking about it is how amazing it was at the time. And I I think how brave it was to have a red, white, and blue, you know, star-spangled hero punching the – the head of a state, of a, a foreign state, you know, the leader of another country, you know, just all, just flat out, you know, saying he's the villain. And we haven't even entered the war yet. Right? Yeah, right, right. And to have Captain America, you know, punching him in the face like that, it's it's incredible that Joe Simon and Jack Kirby did this and that Martin Goodman of Timely Comics allowed them to do that and, and put it on the cover and – I just think it's really incredible at the time. So, yeah, it was kind of a bold move for them to to do that, uh, you know. And I, I suppose it was a way to really kind of start kind of expressing their views um, and something that I don't think um, a lot of people who talk about kind of like the superhero movies and stuff like uh, nowadays. Uh, they don't realize that so often the comics that they, they were cranking out were very much reflective of the times and were commenting on the times. And it's definitely an interesting aspect that uh, that I find, uh, you know, with these characters. One thing that I did notice and I was I was trying to find it's it's a little more tricky to find, like, what was the comic book ad on the back of the original Captain mm. America? I couldn't figure out. It looks like a strange thing. It's like something advertising a beautiful desk. And like, it looks like there's a, a combination you can get of the desk and, or a typewriter or both. And I'm like, is and that you something? you should act now. <laughs> you need to act right now. Is that something that they were really selling on the back of a comic book? Cause I'm like, that seems like such a strange, strange thing. And was it really $1? Yeah. Do you see that? Like, that's what it's referring to, right? $1 for this amazing desk typewriter set. The, the things that, you know, that kids will, send money for and they, <laughs> yeah they don't yeah. often actually get back i mean for all we know they're getting like a little tiny paper uh cut out desk that they can put on their yeah. desk you know a typewriter that crushes it to a pancake <laughs> <laughs> right exactly it's like a like an ant sized desk is that what you're saying my god man you <laughs> are incredible <laughs> incredible no i'm annoying actually <laughs> so we see Steve in the movie theater. Well, bef- yeah, before we get to the movie theater, let's talk about the movie, the movie itself. So Steve's in a movie now. Is it a movie or is it a like a short to sell war bonds? I mean, think of the time. It is a movie, it really believe is. it or not. I was like, I was trying to figure out what was going on with this. And I'm like, you know, is there, were they in the world of the MCU? Is this an actual movie or what was it? And according to the wiki, it is an actual film that uh, that they made and that 
Steve was actually so popular that they were making these uh, these movies. It says Captain America was a black and white series of war movies starring Steve Rogers as the fictional representation of himself. <laughs> in order to take advantage of his popularity, these war movies were developed. In the plot, the character Captain America, portrayed by Rogers, led the U.S. Army and heroically battled against the hordes of villainous Nazis. So it was actually not just one movie, but a whole series of them that they were cranking out from June to October. Thank goodness he's a super soldier. Yeah. Again, according to the wiki, wouldn't they have made this in about 16 hours? One more time. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, really... I mean, a movie's only two hours, Pete. Yeah, you know? exactly. They could do four or five of them. Do you need more time than that? I figured this was kind of a nod <laughs> to the Captain America serial that – that or serials that Republic put out in 1944. Right. Um, starring uh, – is it – Dick Purcell, I think, as district attorney Grant Gardner, as you know, because they they changed everything about it. He didn't even carry the shield. He, you know, he fought against a villain called the Scarab, you know, so. <laughs> and uh, Martin Goodman, he basically yeah gave the rights to Captain America over to Republic for free because he figured that they'll make these serials and that will draw people to go buy comics. So. Unfortunately, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby didn't get any, you know, money from that. That's you know, not, not yeah, not surprised. There were, and they were off. Yeah. You know, they were already. I think Jack at the time was in basic training, I believe, in, in Georgia or Alabama at the time when when this the, these serials started coming out. So they had not figured out uniforms in the Dick Purcell days of Captain America. Let's just say <laughs> the uniform does not suit the man. Uh, in that in in those in that era, um, and I would say this is even it is actually effectively worse than our boho beach bum uh, Captain America that we have in, oh. uh, later. This is not a great look for Cap. It's honestly, it looks kind of like him in this movie version that we're looking at yeah, here. So a little bit to that extent, it's like well, you know, I guess I, I guess it fits. I love that they made the choice to put him in this, you know, basically a a very accurate representation of what he would be wearing in those original comics. And, you know, you got to remember that in 2000, when they made X-Men movies, they were afraid to put him in blue and yellow. So they gave him, you know, black leather motorcycle outfits and then made a joke about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but here, like, they're just going for it. And they throw him in the ridiculous costume with the the stupid ears. I, I've always hated the ears, <laughs> but it, and, and it has a purpose here, you know, because you pair it with this stage production and this hype building campaign of the comics, the movie, the this whole war bond tour, and it just works so well. They really get integration. They really nail marketing integration for sure. Yeah, it's funny because it's like it's giving the comic book fans like, see, this is this is the this is the costume, and then also being like, yeah. it looks kind of silly. We want to move on to another costume <laughs> <Yeah>. after this. <laughs> but at least it's here, and that's yeah. that is the thing that I think I really enjoy, and it and it's here for you know a decent stretch of the film. I mean, it's not yeah. it's not as quick as like the the joke in X Men or something like that. You know, it's actually treated as. As an actual costume. And as Pete said last week when we were talking uh, with Jessica, how 
it's designed to look like when you're in the back of an audience, it looks like an actual like helmet of some sort that you're wearing. You know, it looks like a headpiece that that he would be putting on. You can't tell. The audience isn't able to tell that, oh, it's just all made of cloth and it's just a pull-on thing. And and that's kind of the design, and it works in, in this context. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think it's interesting that of the locations that they chose to to use for the film that we're looking at, it's very much kind of, it's full of palm trees and everything, which I guess we're looking at, um, you know, Northern Africa, that part of the conflict. But it was interesting to see, okay, this is like the one moment that we have something else you know as far as not just the kind of the european look that we're going for and i thought that was kind of a nice little uh change up that we had there oh i thought it was like oh we'll just shoot it in hawaii <laughs> <laughs> right right steve's on tour in honolulu it's just like let's just film something here sure. yeah yeah Bali, hi. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so yeah we go to the theater so robin what did you want to say about the theater okay two things number one is this the only time Steve Rogers has a secret identity? Because he seems to be sitting in the audience pretty pleased with himself and maybe like going, mm, that's me up there. Like, and does anybody <laughs> around him realize that it's Steve Rogers, that this is this guy? That mask. I mean, it, he's unrecognizable. Totally. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's it's right. doing its job. I have that note, too. <laughs> like, is is this like just uh, did he sneak in here and are these people like just regular Ever everyday average Americans watching the movie with him. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's like six inches taller than the people sitting next to him. And, and <laughs> wouldn't they be even more offended that this one guy is not sharing their applause level enthusiasm for the movie that they're watching? He's the only one who's totally not into it. He's just smiling smugly to himself. Everybody else is going crazy. That's a pretty un-American. Yes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Who's the hey, red crowd? Ooh, that man. You know what we're missing here, <laughs> yeah. though, is an opportunity to have had a callback with our loud jerk. Like, this would have been the perfect place to have him yeah. stand up again. Come on, go back to the yeah. cartoons or something. And then have Steve <laughs> stand up. To, to be so into it that he tells someone else to, you know, hey, pipe down. I want to see this. Yeah. <laughs> you know. That's funny. It's, it's, it seems like it would have worked well. I mean, I guess we're in a montage. It's one of those things that you don't want to kind of throw in there. But uh, that would have been an interesting moment to have. Uh, the the second thing I wanted to mention is that yes, he is smiling quite a bit, right? Um, could be something we learned this week from Marvel Television <laughs> that could explain why he's so happy. Is are you guys current on She Hulk? <laughs> oh goodness, uh, I missed apparently this episode. Are you on the internet? <laughs> yeah, that is a yeah, that is, is a, a fantastic <laughs> nod to She Hulk. Who knew that would be connected right here? Oh, okay, okay. So you know what I'm yeah. talking. About. I, I, you know, yeah. I didn't know it. What, but to say anything too loud on your show? Yeah. But uh, Andy needs to watch it now because uh, now he knows there is a connection. And uh, that's right. Oh, that's so right. Andy doesn't know. Andy or, doesn't know. You can go ahead and talk about it. I, I've read online about about stuff. So yeah, you're good. And by the time this comes out, the show will be over. Probably. Yeah, right? I know exactly. Right. Right. But I'm thinking, I'm assuming people will be listening and going, they're going to mention the thing, right? Uh, and it's right during this USO tour, uh, according to Bruce Banner, he found out that Captain America was a virgin until he went on USO tour. And uh, maybe got some admirers, maybe even the girl he gives an autograph to in a that's moment. That's what I was wondering, is is, <laughs> yeah. is no, this the moment where yeah. they meet? Because, you know, I can see that. I can see that. The meme that goes along with that is th- that woman is the same woman that plays Star-Lord's yeah, Meredith mom. Yeah. So it, right. the idea is that 
this is Star-Lord's grandmother. <laughs> Something like that. So I, right. I believe it. <laughs> yeah, there has been, um, I mean, James Gunn initially said there's no connection between her. It's totally different. Right. Um, and then a fan asked uh, in 2018 if they were the same character. And he said, I'm going to decide on the spot. She is the grandmother of Peter Quill. <laughs> and then... He had to delete the tweet, I guess, and I, I don't know. He had to make clear there is no actual connection. And so he was being cheeky, yeah. but of course, fans love that idea that this is actually mm -hmm. Quill's grandmother. And perhaps one of the other special <laughs> things about Quill is that, you know, there might be some uh, some DNA coming from Steve in him that would uh, help him be as, as powerful as he is. So I, I don't know. Listen, it's it's a weird moment because it's like for some reason, like they kind of the, the 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 montage kind of stops and he signs an autograph. Is it because he's signing his first autograph and he's kind of like, oh wow, somebody's starstruck with me, or is it because, by the way, we're also pausing as a photograph is being taken. Are we going to see in Guardians three maybe Peter suddenly going through his mom's <laughs> stuff and seeing this like grandma? Oh my god! Like, and then that credits. would be an incredible flex on part of, that would be of good. Gun to to make that work. Yeah, it is funny. I because I noted that too. I mean, we do have another autograph. There is the kid right before that. So I mean, he has been signing well, autographs. I mean, it's a family but, show, Andy. I, is I, that, that kid no, is. You went dark. No. Who, who does that the kid, kid is Philip Colson. There you go. <laughs> or that's, that's I guess he'd be too for. young for Phil. <laughs> it's Coulson, Phil Cole Dad. <laughs> yeah, that was for oh, Pete. Oh, that was that was that was not as good. You know that what? I'm going to stick with Desk Camp for Head Cannon. <laughs> that was the last one he did, and it was still really good. <laughs> but but I did wonder about that flashbulb because it was so prominent. It was like such yeah. a strangely prominent moment. Like mm -hmm. we've got that high. And they, they make that eye contact and they both look <laughs> completely smitten by the other. And there's a flashbulb. Like it's so prominent. I'm like, is there, what is the reason that it's, it's designed that way? Cause it doesn't seem like something that there would be a photo of. Were they mm. planning on using this photo at some point? I'm, I don't know. I'm curious because it just seems so prominent. It's got to happen. It's very bright, and it feels like practically it's just a, an interesting way to do a transition, right? Because, I mean, it happens. I, I guess that doesn't really work because we're already on her, and the flashbulb doesn't. The cut isn't under the flash. No. Uh, I think it yeah, just adds a little, a little dreaminess to this whole wrapping up of the montage. Just he's starting to – He's a hero. Enjoy, you know, this. He's in the in the movie theater. He's got a huge grit. He's very pleased with himself. And then, yeah, he gets to meet a, a pretty lady. And it's it's what he's he's come so far from being too shy to dance with a with a woman, you know, before Bucky left for for war. Yeah. So he's a hero and a man. <laughs> if <laughs> if there's what, anything that it's doing, it is a it is a very clear reminder of how present like the media is with this character and it's like ever growing like everything he does is being photographed probably per Brant's orders and you know being used to publicize all of this stuff it is interesting that he would be backstage without the mask on and and signing autographs and meeting people oh yeah you know because then that does kind of like is steve rogers a, a known quantity mm-hmm yeah, that's actually an interesting point because um, 
again, going back to the movie theater crowd, it's like that would be an opportunity for them to recognize him. It's like not just the cowl that he's wearing, but his entire outfit, actually. Like any piece of it, once you put it on, you can't tell that it's him anymore. You know, it's it's kind of an odd thing. But I guess that goes to kind of Marvel and the way that they've been treating their their characters. Is it like it's not necessarily um you know secret identities so much right uh certainly not uh like with who we've had so far and with him it's like to a certain extent steve rogers is as much as captain is as much captain america as captain america is steve rogers and so that could just be the thing that they're doing it's like he is this guy you know he's this guy you know (laughs) he's just this guy you know and well another aspect of that like nobody in the audience knows anything about the fact that he is actually a super soldier right it's like they just as far as my my assumption and i guess i'd be curious about all of your reads on this is like nobody thinks that this guy is anybody other than a performer right he's just a big handsome galoot yeah yeah Yeah. and (laughs) i guarantee it's it's meant to come across as that motorcycle that he is holding up there are no wires, right. but to the audience, they would assume that there are wires holding up this motorcycle, you know, but in reality, he is strong enough to, to hold this, this bike with uh, three ladies on it. You know, I love that little, we know that he's holding it up, but we know that the audience is, is clueless, you know, yeah. they're, they're seeing magic and, and don't even know it. So pretty cool. I mean, I think the only danger involved in uh, Steve's identity to be known is the fact that Red Skull obviously wanted to stop the experiment and uh, it would probably be interested in whoever was the you know, the lab rat that they got to work on to, to capture him. That's, uh, you know, that's an interesting question because I, I have that in my notes too. So we're, we've got this several month period of time that we're kind of um, going through here Schmidt, the last, uh, well, we knew that he had sent uh, Kruger to go and assassinate um, Erskine and stop the experiment, steal the formula, all of this sort of stuff. And he failed. He didn't, as far as we know, he didn't have it. I mean, there was really no time for him to get any sort of message out. So, I mean, does Schmidt even know that this particular character, that Captain America is a super soldier? Yeah. I don't think so. That hasn't ever been that. That wasn't my read that he he is still effectively uh, sort of the theory of if you can't hide it, hang a flag on it. Like, you know, he's just a celebrity and it and there are lots of wartime celebrities, we have to assume in some way, shape or form. And he's just another run of the mill way for the Americans to, you know, promote the war effort. Yeah. Sell more series E-bonds. Mm hmm. Red Skull will say later that, you know, he's a fan of his films and then I, obviously he'll see him on, you know, closed circuit TV and, and kind of instantly recognize, oh, there's something yeah. different about this guy. Yeah. Yeah. But does he know that now? Right. I don't know. Yeah. Don't know. And, and, well, does he even know if a super soldier was created? Like he has no information from Kruger. So, you know, he's like, is is are the is he operating under the assumption that they're still operating this super soldier program. They're cranking these people out. Or does he think that Kruger actually succeeded? And I, all he knows is that Kruger didn't come back. And But there was a uh, – didn't Steve get photographed holding up the, the taxi door? Didn't that make it to the papers yeah. like, you know, 
un- unknown hero stops spy or something like that. Yeah. So that may have made its uh, way. Yeah, that's a good point if he was recognizable in any way. Well, okay. So then is Schmidt assuming that the program is is fine then? Like the super soldier program? Like is he assuming that – like I just I, – I guess I've never really thought about this before. But is he operating under the assumption that we've got to get this Tesseract stuff figured out quick because we're going to be dealing with a whole bunch of super soldiers soon? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if the film ever really deals with that <laughs> line of inquiry. So, yeah, I don't <laughs> think so. I think there's like one line when they first meet that Red Skull says something to the effect of it looks like Dr. Erskine uh, succeeded again, you know, after himself. So, yeah, yeah. I think that's all you'll all you'll get as far yeah. as and I'm sure Erskine's death wasn't publicized. So yeah, yeah right, knows right. they could just be still working on it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Pete, we'll have to put a pin in that when we get to those conversations yeah. later in the film, when they finally meet to see exactly how they're reacting with each other. So absolutely. Um, I, I want to go back to, so we're back in the stage show as we're kind of wrapping up this montage. We've got the motorcycle, as we've talked about with the three women on it and Steve's holding it up. And the camera kind of, uh, we kind of push in, we pull out on, we push in on it, all this stuff. But then we get this fantastic wide shot of, we're at Radio City Music Hall at this particular point. And it's just this massive, uh, beautiful, like, stage with kind of the red and white kind of arcs over it with the blue background with all those planes. I love that cutout image of those planes flying overhead and just all the dancing girls and everything. This is like just a perfect way to kind of do this representation of the star spangled man. And it just feels very Busby Berkeley. It feels very Broadway. <laughs> I love the scope that, that we end with this montage. It's just fantastic. I particularly love that the cannons on the tanks are shooting confetti, mm. just like real ones. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that the, the stage, you know, we, when you are, zoomed out it looks like his shield later you know the oh that's the great rings wow. yes of his shield with the star in the middle i mean that's certainly uh, that's definitely the I- intentional yeah 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 Very i'm the cool. guy sitting in the back of the audience going how many war bonds could they have bought for this production huh? <laughs> <laughs> a little, little bit much huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i thought we were sending our money overseas <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, I, it's it's a fantastic bit. Any last thoughts on the montage before we uh, move on or any parts within it? Uh, no, I got no. nothing. I'm good. That leaves us to our transition. We're leaving the montage. Uh, it's been fun, but now we're heading over to Italy and we join Steve. Um, wow. There is a, a very much a we've had, we've had such a sepia toned look through the first part of this film cutting to this shot of Steve. Um, as he's standing up on this stage, it is so cold and blue and, and just, uh, you know, darks, the darks bleak. are dark and very bleak. Yeah. It's just like, wow. Talk about a tonal shift that we're jumping into for the next part of the film. Um, we don't get a lot here. We just get Steve saying one of his lines and, uh, then we get a reaction shot from the crowd and it's just like <laughs> zero. Reaction. They're just stares. They are just, <laughs> Crickets. Yeah. how does this transition play for all of you? I think it's great. Uh, it's, uh, you know, Steve kind of loses himself in the gloss and the glitter. He's enjoying himself. And now he's facing harsh reality. Like, this is what he should be doing. This is n- not his, uh, you know, dog and pony show that he's been uh, 
walking through for the last few weeks. I don't know. Yeah. I love the transition as well. It's, it's a perfect transition from all that to, you know, you've got this crowd and they're cheering about this wartime hero who's never set foot overseas. And then when he goes overseas, he experiences what, you know, he kind of sees himself maybe in this moment and, you know, these are the real guys fighting these wars, and I'm just this. I mean, we'll get into it. The the guy parading around on stage, acting like a hero. So, I think it's a beautiful transition. Yeah, tonally, just that it gets us from the exuberance that is felt at home, it, not just of Steve not really knowing what's going on overseas, but clearly no one really understands what's going on overseas. The exuberance of the populace, right? They just are excited about their war bonds and about this guy who kind of looks the part. But when you like we need this hard cut and this hard delivery of this, you know, what for us is a is a you know ends up being a very uncomfortable joke line that um that nobody who is really doing this, who really understands war, is laughing. Nobody cares about their war bonds. They care about, you know, socks and shoes and ammunition and that kind of stuff. So it's, it is a great, great way to transition us from, you know, home uh, war culture to real war culture. It does make me wonder... Uh, does the team behind the show not not pay attention to the audience they're performing for? Because when I mean, obviously, we need him delivering this line for kind of this setup of of where we're going to go with the rest of the film. But something about it, you know, I, I feel like don't you think that they would like rework the script a bit <laughs> for the for the crowd? Because <laughs> when he comes in, it sounds like he's talking to twelve year olds, and he'll comment on that uh, in the yeah. coming minutes. Yeah. But like, how many of you are ready to help me suck old Adolf on the jaw? It's just <laughs> yeah. like, really, we're here trying to suck Adolf on the jaw, <laughs> yeah. dummy. You know, like, let's. Yeah. How would you like to help? Could could you help us? <laughs> <laughs> because we see you can lift a motorcycle with three ladies on it. Yeah, it's. Uh, we'll we'll. I guess we'll save the rest of the conversation for this. Uh, in tomorrow's minute, because we're certainly going to have a lot more with it. Before we wrap up today's show, though, we do have a deleted scene. This film has so few deleted scenes, but this is, I believe, just our second one of the film. Um, we're in October 1943, so mid-montage. We are joining Bucky and the Howling Commandos. We actually have a few of them. We've got uh, Timothy Dum Dum Dugan, played by Neil McDonough. Gabe Jones, played by Derek Luke. I'm not going to do the IMDb game with them now, since it's just a deleted scene. I'll wait till we get their official introductions. But it is the three of them and a bunch of other soldiers battling in a field this is the battle of azano uh when the 107th uh is fighting the nazis and not doing very well but then all of a sudden the the nazis <laughs> start getting blasted by uh the tesseract cannon the hydra uber tank which has now been upgraded with that uh, fantastic tesseract battery that gives it those uh those uh, bl blue blasts and we start seeing the nazis getting blasted and then the tank rolls over the hill, points its uh, sights on Bucky, Dum Dum, and Gabe, and uh, apparently shoots. And that's kind of the end of the deleted scene. Um, how does this play for you? Do you think it it uh, is fine being deleted? Do you like having it uh, like having this as part of the story? I like what we get, but I wouldn't want to see this in the finished film and sacrifice that transition from. 
the stage production to then this and then to Steve in in Italy. I think you need that harsh cut of the stage and then cap in front of uh, the the soldiers. I, so while I kind of like what's here, you know, I'm I'm okay with this being a deleted scene. I also kind of like meeting the the Howling Commandos later in prison. So yeah, what about you, Robin? I would say, uh, yeah, the transition is where there's a nice transition here, though. They go from like cheesy fireworks at the Radio City Music Hall to all of a sudden we see actual flares being sent up and actual explosions and people dying left and right. But uh, I, I I was actually confused. I Maybe it's the confusion that uh, caused them to cut this or just a discovery that, that that transition we get is actually pretty genius. But when – all of a sudden, Nazis start getting eliminated by lasers. I was, I was like, why are they shooting on their own men? You know, and I, yeah. the, the distinction between Hydra and and uh, the Nazi party wasn't. Uh, I guess I, I knew about it, just wouldn't remember. And all those soldiers were all like in the dark and in black, and I, I couldn't tell if they were who they were. Were they Hydra? Were they yeah. Nazis? Yeah. Um. I mean, we get some pretty uh fun dugan moments here like he's so excited to be shooting off his machine gun and fighting the nazis <laughs> and then the when he gets his hat taken off and he says i hate these guys like it's the last crusade or something i mean uh, uh <laughs> i thought those were some fun moments but yeah i mean it, they could be sacrificed for for the greater good i should say of this movie <laughs> and once again i think you know for me it's that the tank reveal I I'm they the other deleted zine was another tank reveal and it feels like holding that tank reveal is an important thing uh, that they they keep coming back to both of those deleted scenes we're gonna hide the super tank well we we got it right after that first deleted scene though like we see the tank well we see the tank but we don't get the full tank that's true it's all through the little you know right. broken wall. Which is like we don't get we don't get to see like later we'll see him jumping off the tank and we'll get to see the whole thing. Like sure, they, sure. they restrained from like breaking down the building to show how big it is. And here's another one seeing it come over the hill. It just feels too early um, to show the super weapon. And so uh, I but more important, it screws up the pacing of the joke. Like the hard cut is just so like objectively better. Yeah, I, I guess that's where I, I, I stand. It's like, it's nice to see it now, like, and just kind of get a sense of this part of the story. But it also just feels, I mean, I agree with everything. Like, it's kind of confusing that Hydra's shooting the Nazis. Uh, I, I guess it makes sense when, you know, when we think about, you know, earlier when Schmidt killed the three Nazis that came to talk to him. So, yeah, I guess what it's doing is setting up this sense that that Hydra is not only battling uh, the allies, but really everybody at this particular point. But it's not set up that clearly. It's a little you know sloppy the way that it works. Yeah, right. I never got the sense watching this that Schmidt was openly taking on, you know, the Nazi party. I knew he killed those three officers, but I just assumed that was kind of on the hush hush, you know, that that he wasn't openly trying to uh, supplant Hitler, you know, but then this gives me that impression that it's, it's, you know, there's suddenly a new, I mean, we, I guess we know that there's a new threat, but not on the, that scale, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, it's a, it's a funky little moment. And the, the, the transition, as you all have said, is so perfect the way it is. Uh, I just, I, I just don't feel this would have benefited us at all. So, 
Um, and we get we get a sense of it. Like later in the film, when we come upon them, you know, we we kind of find out, you know, what what is going on. And we didn't need to get all of this. So, yeah, it's fine without. Uh, but it is fun to see. Um, there is another little uh, scripted scene that was not uh, not included as a deleted scene. I don't know if it was ever filmed, but it was kind of fun. It's during the montage. A little kid comes up to Cap and says, hey, Cap, my brother says you took out four German tanks all by yourself. Steve says, sorry, kid, tell your brother he's wrong. And the kid kind of looks disappointed. Then Steve smiles and says, it was eight German tanks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, there was also a uh, a, a news magazine, uh, a, a movie magazine that that Steve ends up signing. The cover says, "Who's Cap kissing now?" And then in the corner of it, there's a little picture of Howard Stark, and it says, "Has Howard lost his Playboy crown?" Mm. <laughs> That's a little too like connect the dots, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't like. Right, right. I don't like that. That's that's corrupted cap. I don't want to see too. too I want to yeah. see the smirk of the audience, <laughs> yeah. and then you know that's yeah. as far as he goes. <laughs> see, even with the the other, you know, talking to the kid about destroying tanks, in my head, Cap would say, "No, you know, I I had a lot of help from the one oh seven. You know, it wasn't just me. I'm part of this team. Like that's that's what Cap would say." In my, right. you know, head cannon for sure. But just a little bit, can't you imagine the Stanley cameo as Stanley walking out of the Playboy Mansion uh, <laughs> with his smoking jacket on? You know, I, I can a little bit. I can see that. <laughs> I agree with everything, but a little bit. It's it's fun. I mean, all of these are fun, but yeah, none of this was necessary. The film works just as as uh, perfectly as it needs to in order to get us from the musical that we just finished into Italy and into uh, the the uh, the European front where we're going to be joining Steve and the rest of the team. So, all right. Any last thoughts about anything in this minute, or should we wrap it up and then we can come back tomorrow for minute fifty two? I'm good. Yeah, we gave it. We we I think we covered it all. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, uh, remind everybody where they can find what you two are working on. I'll just say check me out on uh, Marvel Events Timeline. That's my Marvel comic. Well, it's my comic book podcast where we go back to the beginning of Timely Comics and we're going to work our way towards the present day and talk about milestones in the the building of the Marvel Universe. Where are you at right now with it? Uh, we just finished World War II, so we're going to start doing some uh, some Western and romance comics that Timely did uh, before transitioning to Atlas Comics. Still in the early days. Yeah. A lot of fun stuff. All right, Robin, what about you? Uh, you can find me at Karate Kid Minute, uh, where we discuss all four Karate Kid movies uh, minutes at a time, depending on which movie it is and how patient I am. We also discuss, uh, discuss, uh, uh, Cobra Kai, a uh, series that's running on Netflix. Probably by the time these minutes come out, uh, my podcast will probably be, uh, on hiatus as we wait for the next season of Cobra Kai. But, uh, you could always go back and listen, uh, to those minutes at a time. If you like the Karate Kid franchise, it's fun. Uh, and sometimes I have these familiar voices on as well. <laughs> And uh, the other podcast I do, I mean, I love me a, a hero that you can uh, believe in. And uh, Captain America is one of them. And also uh, Superman is the other one. Uh, Superman and Lois TV talk, talking about the CW series, Superman and Lois, when it's on the air. That's awesome. The Karate Kid five, that season five just dropped, right? Not long ago? Uh, actually, it, 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 yeah. Or is it still uh, coming? Well, 
at the time of September? this coming out, it would have already dropped on September 9th, right? I'm not sure when this okay. was. <laughs> but, Later. Uh, so it will have been out. Yes. By the time. All right. Yep. Good. Sometime. I started watching that show because of you. So oh, good. You I hope you're much. enjoying it. <laughs> I am enjoying it. I'm, I'm, I'm spreading my hate all his. You turned him. You shifted yeah. his whole thinking about, uh, about the... Oh, the angle 100%. of protagonist versus antagonist. Yeah. Of, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, the whole franchise. Yeah. Like Johnny Lawrence, that guy was a jerk. Oh, actually, he's pretty awesome. And so is Daniel. <laughs> yeah, we like Johnny. Ways. Yeah. Man. <laughs> Daniel's a chump. That's Sweep right. the leg. Sweep the leg. <laughs> the le- that, that kick was illegal. <laughs> all right. Well, um, we will have links for all of their shows and everything they're working on in the show notes. So just click on that and it'll take you right to their site. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow for Minute 52. So, Pete, thanks as always. Oh, thanks, Andy. Star Spangled Man signing out. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.